All right, good morning. Welcome to worship. Good to see you all this day. If you would grab your bulletins, some announcements as we get started. Quite a few announcements, I believe. So there's a tear-off portion of your guest. Uh, just fill out that blue side and put it in the offering plate when it comes by a little bit later. We'll follow up with you about Mechanicsville Baptist. On the other side is a place where you can put prayer requests. Just write in the bottom of that yellow page and put it in the offering plate as well. We're praying our staff time on Tuesdays. On the back are opportunities for the week. I'll make mention of a few things and then talk about some other things that have been brought to my attention. Uh, today we do have our encounter service, so it is still on at 5 o'clock. This Wednesday is our midweek Bible study uh, at 11. Wednesday supper is chicken rice casserole. Make sure to sign up for that. Connect groups of Juana and youth as well this Wednesday, along with the midweek Bible study and choir rehearsal. Uh, so those are some of the things on there. You can look through the rest. Uh, some other announcements. First of all, ladies, save the date, March 20th and 21st. We're going to have a women's conference at our church. It'll be over in the FLC. March 20th is a Friday, and March 21st is a Saturday. So it'll be Friday night, all day Saturday. So put that on your calendars. Plan to be there. There'll be more information about uh, what's all going to happen at that. I'm very excited what God's going to do at that time in March. Uh, also, a little more immediate, there is a, is Sandra Favreau not here today? All right, I think I said it right last time. We'll see if, how I do. You ready? There's a widow, widower, Valentine lunch on Valentine's Day, one o'clock at the pasta house over here. And uh, I don't know what the cost is. Is, is there a cost or just whatever you buy? All right, and then you have to let Sandra know, though, by tomorrow. So if you want to go to this, if, you, if, if you're part of that, uh, please let Sandra know by tomorrow, and they'll have a nice lunch over at the Pasta House, which is delicious. They are good food, yeah. Is that anything about that? Very welcome. Please contact Sandra about that. And let's have, oh, I'll do mine, and then I'll have the two ladies come up. The mission trip theme is, is out for this year. It'll be on our website this week, uh, and it's uh, convinced, which is off Romans 8, where we are convinced that nothing separates us from the love of God through Christ. And we're going July 25th to August 3rd, so begin praying now. That is our team. And if you are interested in going this year, you'll need to get one of these packets. I have a bunch here. There'll be some available all over. And you'll apply to be a part of that trip before uh, the end of the month. And then in March, we'll put the team together and start our process of training and preparation. So we would love for you to pray about that whether God's leading you to go or how you can be involved in supporting that trip. All right, Elf Karen, come on up. Thank you. Merry Christmas. It's Operation Christmas Child Time. Even though January is over, you may continue to bring hats, gloves, scarves, mittens, all of those things um, that we could probably find on sale right now and put them in the boxes both in the foyer and in the Family Life Center. But now begins the month of February and this month we are collecting hygiene items. We're gonna collect both toothbrushes and washcloths and soap. Whether you'd like to bring a big, a big pack of soap or a big pack of washcloths, or maybe you would like to wrap your, your um, washcloth around the soap and put it in a baggie because this is what the elf helpers are going to do um, if it comes all in, in separate things. So however you'd like to bring it. Toothbrushes, you know, because every shoebox needs soap and washcloth and a toothbrush so that these children can have their very own um, if you find a good deal like these toothbrushes, that please, you can bring them like that or you can cut them. If they come in a pack like that, you may want to go ahead and separate them and put them in individual baggies um, to save the elf helpers some time later on in the year. Another opportunity to bring hope and joy to hurting boys and girls and to bring Jesus. Hygiene items. Keep your, keep your minds open as, as you shop. Packets of tissues. These were 10 packs for a dollar. Couldn't pass that up. Thank you. 
All right, and Lisa's going to give an announcement, and then uh, we'll have our call to worship. The children's ministry team needs your help. We were able to go into most of the Sunday school classes today to let you know about an opportunity where you can help with their children's ministry here at our church. We are hosting or providing having a winter festival or winter theme festival here February 22nd from 1 to 3. And how can you volunteer, you may ask? We need you to come and have fun with the kids, come and man a station. We have decorating cookies. We have different kind of games. We have a coloring station if you want to tap into your inner child and just sit and color with a, with a child. And um, But we need your help. And that's how you can help. We need you to come and be here. You don't need to bring anything with you. We will have it all set up. We just need you to come and help out with the kids. Um, but if you can't come that day, we would love to help have you help out by, we had a suggestion, we're adding another station. Um, today, somebody suggested, well, if I can't come, what can I do? So somebody suggests we do a cakewalk. So if you like to make cakes or cookies or cupcakes or any kind of treat like that that you want to donate to a cakewalk, we would love to have you do that. If you have any questions on how you can help, see Leslie or me, and we will be happy to plug you in where you can help. Thank you. us.
that you hold in your hand <clears throat> is a promise. A promise, and we'll talk about promises in a little bit. In Jeremiah, promises kept and promises broken. But what you see is the symbol of what our Lord and Savior did for us in the new covenant. You remember last week we spoke of a new covenant that was to come. And what you hold in your hand is the symbol of that new covenant in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The disciples needed promises that night. They needed something to hold on to because the one they had served and whom they had called Lord was about to leave them. And so he wanted to give them a promise, if you will, to hold on to. And so on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd blessed it and broken it, he gave it to his disciples and said, for as often as you eat it, remember me. After they had eaten, he took the cup. And he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, remember me. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let me give you this added note. The cups that you drank from this morning were a gift from the family of Lucille Hott in remembrance of her. And uh, we will from now on in the first and second services be using these cups. They are not disposable, so please don't throw them away. Put them in the holder and uh, we will uh, move from there. I didn't want to tell you that before communion because I didn't want to take away from our communion time. But uh, we are grateful that those cups have come our way. Thank you. Let us stand and sing. Woo. And now let us stand and sing number 511, the solid rock. 511. Please stand and sing with us.
period for prayer. Lord, we come into your house today to study your word and to praise your name. We thank you for our families, for our friends, and all the blessings you provide for us each and every day. We thank you for the offerings we're about to receive. Let them be used to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just got word before time to come in, and some of you already knew this. Uh, 
Doris Grotz passed away, uh, and she used to come to the second service with her husband, Cliff, and they usually sat on the back row on, on my right, your left. Uh, the funeral will not be here. Uh, it will be in Calio, Virginia. That's where she's from. Uh, and so there will be visitation tomorrow from 2 to 4 at the um, Bennett Funeral Home here on Lee Davis Road. If any of you would like to stop by, I just want to let you know it. And what I did, the reason you, I was late coming in, uh, I checked the newspaper on the computer downstairs to get the details. So she passed away. Uh, we had just heard on Monday that they had placed her uh, in hospice care. And so just want to let you know. And, and Cliff is also... Uh, not doing well at all. He's pretty much bedridden uh, at the Masonic home as well, so I'm not even sure that he would be able to attend uh, Doris's memorial service. So uh, just wanted you to pray for them and know that. Uh, and if you get the paper, you can read it in the paper when you go home this afternoon. Let's bow for prayer. Eternal God, into your presence we come with thanksgiving in our hearts for the gift of life itself, and for the opportunity to serve and to minister in the name of Christ. For our hope, Father, is to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We're grateful, Father, that when we come before you, we can pray for one another. And so we pray for those of our church family who are ill, who are rehabbing from accidents or surgeries, those who are facing things this week, Father, we lift them to you. And pray that you would minister and that you would bring healing and hope. We're grateful, Father, that as we pray, we also can pray for those who are missionaries serving around the world. Father, we pray that they can stand tall as we pray on their behalf. That they might share the good news of Jesus Christ in places around the world so that others might know and hear. We pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones, for the Grotz family and for uh, all of those, Father, that we have uh, lost even in this past month. We lift them to you and pray that you will bless them, encourage them, comfort them as only you can. We're grateful, Father, that as we pray, we know that you hear our prayers and that you can respond and do respond to our needs and concerns. But we praise your name. For indeed, Father, you have promised so much and you deliver on your promises. As we open your word, Father, may we have open minds and open hearts as we look at your prophecy through your prophet Jeremiah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture this morning is found in Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 1 through 22, which is the entire chapter. And may I say that this is not necessarily chaptered in chronological order. So what we're talking about today actually occurred before uh, what we talked about last week about the covenant relationship uh, that came after this. But today we want to look at... Uh, the idea of promises kept and promises broken in regard to this passage of Scripture. And you'll see pretty quickly how that plays out. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace, as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem. 
When the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah and were left against Lashish and Ezekiah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them. That every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, At the end of seven years let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him, and when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house, which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom you have set at liberty at their pleasure, and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, every one to his brother and every one to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence and to famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. This year is another election year. Even before candidates on the ballots are officially determined, politicians are promising to do this or do that. Historically, politicians agitate voters by their failure to keep the promises made while campaigning for election. Consequently, some citizens evaluate campaign promises as simple rhetoric. Nevertheless, voters often feel betrayed whenever elected officials do not do what they promised in their campaign speeches and promotions. Broken promises are even more painful when they occur in personal relationships. Broken vows may devastate a marriage, but even failure to keep less momentous promises can create distrust. The same is true among friends. No legal contract governs friendship. Nevertheless, promises administer the relationship. Promises kept strengthen the bond. Promises not kept fray the bond. Even in the workplace, keeping one's word is crucial to relationships. Have you ever experienced the pain of a broken promise? Keeping our promises is even more profound for believers, for Christians. Whether our promises are within marriage, between friends, or at work, they intertwine with our relationship to God. And so Jeremiah 34, 1 through 22, recounts a promise God made to Zedekiah and a promise Zedekiah made to the Hebrew slaves living in Jerusalem. God kept His promise... Zedekiah and his subjects broke their promise. Broken promises lead to greater judgment. Has anyone ever broken a promise they made to you? How did it make you feel? Have you ever broken a promise to someone? What were the consequences? Broken promises produce emotional pain and have real consequences. So this morning we're going to look at this story 
in the prophecy. And look at how God kept his promises then and how we can be sure that God keeps his promises now. First, our destiny rests in God's hands. We found that out from chapter 1, didn't we? When God told Jeremiah he had a plan for him, a ministry for him before he was even born. Jeremiah addressed Zedekiah's destiny. The Babylonians would capture the king of Judah and bring him back before Nebuchadnezzar. God promised that Nebuchadnezzar would not execute Zedekiah, but would send him into exile. God likewise promised Zedekiah that he would be honored with a burning ceremony. This does not imply cremation. The ancient Israelites did not practice cremation. Instead, the burning ceremony denotes the custom of burning aromatic spices in honor of a deceased king. God's promise to Zedekiah did not imply immunity from all punishment, though. It just said that he would not die at the hands of the Babylonians. When the Babylonians entered Jerusalem, Zedekiah and his sons evaded capture and fled the burning city. Babylonian troops captured them later near Jericho. The captors conveyed them to Nebuchadnezzar at Riblah. As punishment for Zedekiah's insurrection in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar forced Zedekiah to witness the execution of his captive sons. Directly thereafter, the Babylonians blinded Zedekiah and took him to Babylon in chains. Can you imagine that punishment? To see the last vision that you saw was that of your sons being executed. That's punishment. That was punishment we see very clearly that Zedekiah did not escape punishment. He escaped death. Sometimes I believe there are things that are worse than death in terms of the punishment that was dealt out to Zedekiah. Despite Zedekiah's corruptness, God honored his promise to the king. Zedekiah escaped death, but not God's punishment. Despite the expectation that Zedekiah would die if Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, God promised the king would die peacefully at a later date. Jeremiah's prophecy to Zedekiah exhibits God's sovereignty over individuals. Think about that. God has a plan for each of us. God had a plan for Zedekiah. God had a plan for Jeremiah. You see the consistency there? So God has a plan for each of us. The difficulty for us sometimes is we either don't want to do God's plan in our lives or we haven't discerned what God's plan is because we have not spent enough time in His Word, enough time in prayer, enough time trying to determine and discern what God's plan is for us. And here we see that God had a plan for Zedekiah. But it also tells us that God will judge each individual. We don't get away from the judgment. Zedekiah had, we'll see it a little bit later, profaned the name of God. And because of that, and because of his circumstances and situation in disobeying God, God will judge him. And that means God will judge us too. But praise the Lord, we have a Savior. We have one who will help us who has helped us to overcome. Our destiny, you see, depends on our heart. Look at verses 8 through 16. The citizens of Jerusalem emancipated their slaves in an elaborate ceremony. Jeremiah sets forth the intolerable treachery of Jerusalem's inhabitants. The city's population included both male and female slaves. You see that. The designation Hebrew indicates many of them were Israelites. Mosaic law mandated Israelite slaves be freed after performing six years of servitude. However, the slave owners previously never freed their slaves as specified in the law. Their willingness to free them at this time suggests only desperation. You see, over the years, this law had fallen into disuse and the people had gotten used to having these permanent slaves in their households. The king evidently felt this upset God, so he issued the edict that the slaves be released. You see what's happening here. Zedekiah is bargaining with God. And that doesn't turn out very well. Because God knows our hearts. 
He knows what our motivations are. It's interesting to see here how that he did this to try to manipulate God. Apparently Zedekiah was frightened at the approach of the Babylonian army. So he began seeking ways to placate God so that God would feel more kindly toward him and perhaps spare him. This is a common phenomenon. We all do this. We may not think we do, we may not want to, but we all do this. When trouble strikes, people will start going to church for the first time in years, thinking that that is what God wants. Or they will start tithing or paying their debts or doing something else they hope will somehow make God feel a little more favorable toward them as this king sought to do. You see, he was trying to bargain with God. How many tests and exams have people taken and say, Oh, God, if you'll just help me pass this test, I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. Right? If you'll just help me get past this cancer diagnosis, I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. That's bargaining with God. And it got Zedekiah in a whole heap of trouble. At the first opportunity, you see... They returned those they freed back into slavery when they thought the threat was over, when the army was pulling away. Their emancipation was a vain attempt to manipulate God's favor. The freed slaves did not anticipate their former owners might break their promise of freedom and consequently, rather than leave Jerusalem, they remained in Jerusalem because that's all they had ever known. And however, when the Babylonians withdrew temporarily to fight the Egyptians, the citizens mistakenly thought the danger was past and there the enslaved, they enslaved the emancipated individuals all over again. You see, these people's obedience was based on fear of the Babylonian army and not devotion to God and God's word. It's a struggle that is real then and is real now. Where is your reverence? Is it to the world in which we live or is it to God and his word? The people's obedience was based on Fear of the Babylonians and not devotion to God and His Word. You see, they had not quite understood that the promises of God you can bank on. Those promises don't change. He has promised what He will do and He will do it. We see it very clearly here. And that means that it will happen even in our time. We will choose or reject God's will. The fact that the Israelites were God's chosen people only exasperated their guilt. Thereby the people in Jerusalem, now look at verse 16, profaned God's name by forcibly enslaving members of the covenant community. The Hebrew text literally reads, and you turned and made my name unclean. The remarkable phrase in this passage is, you profaned my name. This is a serious charge to any Jew. They had been brought up to revere and respect the name of God. The Hebrew word translated profane means wound, pierce, or deface. God's charge is, you have defaced me. How did Zedekiah do it? By failing to respect the human rights of slaves. It is an act of blasphemy against God to treat another person as somewhat less than a person. That is what God holds a nation accountable for. Followers of Jesus Christ are known worldwide as Christians. Note the term Christian includes the name of Christ in its formation. The suffix in the Greek word denoted an adherent of an individual or party. Hence a Christian is a person who is an adherent of Christ, whose life and behavior is like Christ. Whenever, Christian behaves, whenever Christians behave sinfully, it reflects negatively on the name of Christ. We do the same thing to Christ's name that Zedekiah's people did to God's name, we profane it. We deface it. The gist of God's accusation rests in the perception the Israelites' actions made on other people. God's desire, His people to be like Him. Re-enslavement of the emancipated Hebrews made God, God, made God seem vindictive and petty. At least 
as God understood their breaking His covenant. And then our destiny corresponds to our deeds. Once more, God leveled the charge of disobedience and betrayal at the citizens of Jerusalem in verses 17 through 22. Again, God reminded them that the people enslaved were family members within the covenant community. Each one was a fellow Hebrew. The word denotes males with the same parents. The slaves and their masters were descendants of Jacob. God also referred to a slave as a neighbor. Within the law, there is a mandate for God's people to be holy like Him. The mandate remains in effect for believers today. Jesus simply said, we are to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. Fulfilling this mandate requires doing what God commands. Remember when Jesus was asked which commandment was most important? He quoted Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18 and said you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus insisted that these two commands summarize the entire Old Testament. Jesus defined neighbor as anyone a person might encounter. How can one love a stranger if one will rob a brother of his freedom? And because the Israelites disobeyed God's law, God proclaimed freedom for them. Did you catch what kind of freedom though? Look at verse 17. Therefore thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence and to famine. And I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. According to Mosaic law, obeying God's commands resulted in a blessing and disobedience in a curse. The threefold judgment delivered the curses predicted in Deuteronomy. The sword refers to death at the hands of an enemy. Plague refers to various diseases. Famine also was on the list of curses. God foretold the consequences of disobeying Him. He promised them He would and He followed through with His promise. You see, that's where we get in trouble sometimes. We, we see the good promises of God and fail to recognize that there are other promises that God makes that bring judgment upon people. But you see, this tells me as we look at this and how God delivered on the promises He made to destroy that He will deliver on the promises He made to redeem us. That's the key. That's the key. Because they did not keep their word and did not obey God's word, the citizens of Jerusalem suffered a ghastly siege. The city was destroyed and remained uninhabited for 50 years. Think about that. 50 years. Longer than this church has been here as Mechanicsville Baptist Church. God laid out in writing some basic rules and noted what would happen if people did not conform to them. Israel would learn God keeps His word. The ghastly siege of Jerusalem equated to God sobbing and saying, I told you so. Furthermore, the horrendous destruction of Judah warned other nations that Israel's God was genuine, so they must not ignore His threats. You see, God will use whatever God needs to use to get people's attention. You know, we're dealing right now with coronavirus, right? And uh, it's a very serious situation in some parts of the world. Uh, put it in perspective, though, uh, you, they're talking about cities in China with 20 million people in them. 20 million people is more than almost, is almost three times the population of Virginia. 20 million people in a small area like that, something's going to happen sometimes. I mean, it's just the nature of what happens. But what I'm saying is all throughout the centuries, biological threats have destroyed people, haven't they? Right? We know that. More people were killed by the flu virus in World War I than were killed in the battles. That gives you an example of what God can do if He chooses to. And are we haughty enough to believe that there's not some superbug out there somewhere wandering around that could wipe populations out? Now, I'm not being an alarmist. I'm looking at what the Word says here about famine, about pestilence, and about the soul. And if you think God won't use your enemies to bring you in line, 
Look again. The Babylonians had no interest in the one God. None. And yet he used them to punish his own people. This is serious. These are the promises of God. When the last Babylonian troops departed Jerusalem, piles of rubble marked the location where Jerusalem once stood. No one would live there for the next five dec decades. It even says in the scripture that scavengers such as buzzards and wild dogs briefly feasted on the carcasses of animals and people. The few Jews still living in Judah soon fled into Egypt as refugees after disgruntled survivors assassinated the governor. Judah's cities were a desolation without inhabitant, just as God had promised. But I want to reinforce this again. If God promised destruction, God has also promised redemption, hasn't He? So we hold to that. We understand that. The promises are what they are. A right relationship with God results in godly behavior. If you want to approve, if, if you want God to approve of you, make sure <coughs> you keep your promises to God and God's people. God wants people to keep their promises. Making empty promises piously does not please Him. Breaking promises can have, as we see here, disastrous consequences. There is only one attitude that will avert the coming judgment of God. Jeremiah has already told us what it is, didn't he? We use the word repentance. He used the word turn. Repentance. Deep humiliation before God. Acknowledgement of guilt. A willingness to recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's the key. We must learn to follow God and look at His promises. Yesterday in the grocery store on our morning run to Kroger, I'm always fascinated by people and what people are doing. And um, there was a little boy following his mother in one of the little child carts. You know, you've seen him in there, you know. Just, just right for a little child. He's pushing. And his mama couldn't keep him straight. And so finally she said, now, you get behind me in line, and I'm going to be the line leader. This all took place in the produce department. And she kind of winked at me, the mother did, because she saw I was watching intently as to what was going on. The first thing out of you know, they understand line and line leader. But the first thing out of his mouth was, oh, I want to be the line leader. So it defeated the whole purpose of what she was trying to do to keep him in line. Well, doesn't that happen to us? We want to be the line leader. We want God to follow us. That's what Zedekiah wanted. You notice how he bargained. Didn't get him anywhere, did it? We must let go and let God. We must follow him. And when we do, the outcome will change your life. Shall we pray? Father, we are so thankful for your promises. We're thankful in the midst of seeing these promises, we also are warned. You have shown us, Father, your great love for us. But you have shown us we have a responsibility before you. May we take that responsibility seriously. May we, Father, be lights in a dark world. May we share the gospel story with a world in need. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is... What, what number? 446 is our hymn. I didn't have my bulletin up here. I'm sorry. The invitation that I would give this morning is one to those of us first who are believers. Do you find yourself bargaining with God to not do what He has called you to do? Do you find yourself claiming only the promises that you want to claim and throwing out the rest? Ask yourself. And if you're here this morning without salvation, I would encourage you to come to Christ. He has promised us 
life now, and life eternal. But he's also promised us separation from God if we don't receive him. I pray that if you're here without Christ, that you allow the Spirit to lead you. As we stand and sing hymn number 446, Blessed Assurance. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we had a good number in our first service and 170 in Sunday school today. So uh, we're grateful for people coming and being a part of this time together. Uh, let me say on March, I think it's 6th and 7th, so Friday, Saturday, first weekend in March, uh, Friday evening, Saturday morning, we're going to do some evangelism training through our ministry grid system. And we have to do that in here because we need computer access and we can do it on the screen. Uh, it's a way to uh, get us uh, informed and equipped to be evangelists in our community. And so we're going to do that on March. That was one of the things that didn't get announced this morning. That was not done on purpose. It just didn't get announced because we had other things that we're, we're working on as well. Don't want to overwhelm you, but you will be hearing more about that. Uh, along the way and Lisa's uh, plea to help with the children and, and, and just come if you don't just come be here let them know that you're supportive of them you know we had 29 workers and children a couple of weeks ago before the first sir during the first service when they do that M&M uh, isn't that right Sandra I don't know how many workers but there was probably 23 or 4 children 
out of that. So we've got a lot of children. We just don't see them in this second service, do we? Um, so I don't want you to ever go away disheartened. There are things going on. We have a variety of things going on, and I uh, just want to make you aware of that. Also this, this is Benevolent Sunday, so there will be uh, deacons at the door to receive your benevolence offering. Uh, you know that half of what we give goes to MSEF and the ministry's there, and half stays here uh, in the church. And so one more thing I need to say, welcome Leslie. Leslie is our interim uh, accompanist, and um, she said she was going to learn the organ. You did fine this morning on the organ. Thank you very much. We will pray for Leslie. It's a big undertaking. Uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to forget her, uh, and we appreciate her stepping up and, and uh, helping uh, provide in our services each uh, time. And remember, I'm going to say it again. I told the deacons I probably wouldn't have to in the service. The cups are not disposable. We will reuse them, okay? I want to make sure you know that. Uh, I think that's all. Dwight, I hit? I'm sorry. I just, you know, go on and on. Um, let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we leave today, we are thankful for your prophet Jeremiah. He speaks truth to us in ways, Father, that we need to hear it. He speaks truth in such a way, Father, that we can leave here holding on to the promises that you have made. We pray, Father, that as we go out into the world in which we work and serve, that we can be ministers in the name of Jesus Christ, witnesses for you, now and forevermore, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.